We've finally made it past the age of the ancient church, and we're starting on the medieval church today, um, which the book we're following that um, um, Christianity through the centuries is, um, we're following it. And uh, it puts it at the Middle Ages at 590 to 1517. And, um, yeah, it's a big span. But it's really a different... The reason we're doing this is because at that time period is because of the shift that happens in the church. Um, in, in, uh, let's talk, when I say, um, middle ages, what do you think of? Knights of the round table. Yeah. Yeah. Knights of the round table. Merlin. Merlin, absolutely, he would have been a knight and king Arthur, or he would have been the head of King Arthur's kid. Merlin's stories are fascinating. I love them. Some of him, he's kind of a perv, but some of he's all right. Uh, go read the actual original King Arthur tales. They're a lot of fun. Um, I have those, King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, up in England, um, and all the movies that you can think of that goes along with that. What else? Middle medieval. What do you think of? Rats and plagues. You know, it actually wasn't the rats that spread that. It was the fleas on the back of the rats. Uh, <laughs> but the plague would have been during that time period. Yes, absolutely. Uh, anyone else? Witches, you actually did have some witch hunts going on in, uh, during this time period, especially in England. How about the Crusades? Hmm. That would have been during this time period. Um, when we talk about um, the Middle Ages... The reason that 590 was chosen is because that is when Gregory I became the bishop or the Pope of Rome. Even though he, he refuses the term Pope, but he, he's the Pope of Rome. Um, and he will usher in a new power for the church in the West. So... It really marks a changing point in church history. Now, if I was talking of other churches, other history, not just church history, I would probably put this date at a different time period. When we talk about periods of history, we got to remember that there's no such thing as like this is when things shifted, everything changed, and all of a sudden we were an ancient church. Now we're we have some dates when things happened, important events happened. But when we're marking like time periods, like the age of the Renaissance, these things don't just snap your fingers and it's, well, everyone's changed their opinions, the dress and the art styles and 
These things happen over times in different areas. They go, they shift as people in some areas pro- progress faster than others. And some people hold on to the past a little older. So things happen in different areas at different time periods. And, and so there's no one right answer to, hey, this is when the um, Middle Ages, medieval period starts. Um, some historians that I've read mark uh, the medieval period when at 313 when the church was, was granted religious freedom. Some uh, at the Council of Nicaea in 325, we talked a lot about that. Um, some 378 because it's the Battle of, uh, uh, of Andrianopoli, which is where the Visigoths came into the empire. And that led, that's really one of the signals of the destruction of the Byzantine Empire. Um, Maybe we could say it was 476 when the last of the Roman emperors fell. Um, You know, it takes a thousand years for the our economy to recover from the the fall of the Roman Empire. So, but chose five, the the book I chose uses five ninety because it is the time that Gregory the first comes to power and he really changes the atmosphere of the the way the church does business. Right or wrong, I'm not getting into that. I'm saying that he does. <laughs> um. We can also argue about when to end it. I said what? 1517. Who knows what happens at 1517? This is one of those important church history events. Protestant Reformation. This is when Martin Luther... Pins those 95 theses to the wall. Him and Zwingli start the Protestant Reformation around that time period. Um, And so that will usher in a completely different time period in church history. So that's why we're going to go with that. But you could say something like um, 1095. 1095 probably sounds familiar to some of you guys. It's when the Crusades start. Um, 1453 is the fall of Constantinople. I mean, we could say we could say all these kind of things. We could even go afterwards in 1648, which is the Peace of Westphalia. But I think 1517 works well because it does mark. When the church, for church history anyways, when the church shifts in the way it's working. For about a thousand years, the church grows in powers and kind of stays the same in the way it works. Um, When we talk about church history in medieval era we're going to talk about a fragmented roman empire 
Because remember, they, they fall into the, the Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. The Muslims are going to come in, put into North Africa. We're going to start to meet the Muslims for the first time. Um, in North Africa, in Byzantine Europe, uh, The term itself, Middle Ages, originates with a man named Christopher Kellner, who in a book, a handbook published about 1669, and when he thought of three divisions of history in the West. He said ancient history, which for him ended in 325, modern history, uh, which had a beginning at 1453, the fall of Constantinople, um, which brought a, a uh, a bunch of Greek scholars and manuscripts into the West. And so he says the middle period is obviously the the time for him between the ancient and the modern. Uh, and this was in the 1600s. So modern for him is still really old for us. <laughs> um, and so, um, so the middle era, era is that time period. Um, Some of you may have heard about the first five centuries of the Middle Evil period as its more popular pop culture name. About 500 to 1000 AD is the Dark Ages. Ooh, the Dark Ages. Where Western Europe totally lacked in culture, because monasteries made, uh, you know, because Christianity was ruining everything. No, that's not actually even true. That's pop culture speaking. The Dark Ages were known as the Dark Ages, mostly because the people of the Renaissance thought they, all the people that lived from that time period were stupid. <laughs> that's, that's, the people that were living in the time of the Renaissance thought the people that lived in that time period were dumb. Uh-huh. Yes, he would have Saint Nicholas would have been in this time period, yes. Um some Europe itself well, of course it's seeing a lack of the glory of the Roman Empire. There was less intellectual stuff coming up. You know, people are we're going into a major depression that lasts for a thousand years. Of course, there's going to be less people worried about the great next scholarly thing. They're worried about survival. Makes sense that they're not as great as that. But uh, but monasteries are actually making intellectual contributions throughout this time period. Um, the Renaissance people thought there was just a chasm separating the brilliant classics and the modern renaissance period for 500 years they didn't see any of this brilliance and so they just tamed it the dark ages um i guess maybe we could say it's slow growing but it takes time to dig out of a recession doesn't it (laughs) And it takes time to restructure after an empire falls. And it takes time to rebuild the ideas of what schools should look like and what uh, education should look like and what health care should look like. And 
all these things that you know we take for granted right now we're st- but we're still fighting over what it should look like um, but for the Roman, you know, even though for the Renaissance people, they viewed this time period as the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholics thought this era was the golden age of humanity. The church was growing. The Roman Catholic especially was becoming the powerhouse. This is when they became the, the Roman Catholic Church. Before that, yeah, Uh, was the it wasn't a battle between the Pope and the King of England? Uh, you know that definitely would have been something that happened, but no, well, that's not what it was all about. The um, the Dark Ages would have gone much is much broader than just England. Um, there were battles that happened between the church and the state. These things will be important. As the church becomes more powerful and starts dominating over states, um, but um, but it's it, but the Dark Age period, according to the classics, the 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 Renaissance people was engulfed all of all of Europe. So it's not just England; it's all of. Um, I think as I read through, as I'm thinking about church history and some of the Protestant historians I'm thinking about, they view, a lot of Protestant historian, church historians view this period as the, the period where the church lost its way to the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. And it became corrupted. Um, so the end of the church era, the pure church era, was this and it became corrupted um, according to a lot of historians uh, which is why Martin Luther's Reformation kind of ends this period because a lot of Protestant people say this is when we started moving back towards at least better theology I'm not going to say we're there yet but we're at least better Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, um, to say it was a monopoly, at first, absolutely not, but it develops into that. And that's why we have things like the Crusades, where the church itself is, is the banking system. The church itself is the, uh, the monopoly on life. The church itself has, and so the Roman Catholic Church will definitely become um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church that, you know, has some, a lot of bad things in it, a lot of things, bad things in their history. The Puritans probably would have been, uh, they probably would have come out of the later part of this. Um, but, yeah, that had been in, in mostly in England. Uh we're not, Christianity hasn't gotten to England at the, the start of this yet. Or at least not really. We have church in Ireland by St. Patrick. We already talked about him, didn't we? <laughs> um, 
And we've got to remember that, that as we think about medieval period, some areas of the, you know, it's not like, it, you know, it kind of goes in waves, you know, as it hits different areas. Um, the, the Baltic Basin will become as important as the Mediterranean Basin after the, I'm going to use the word, uh, Teutonic. Um, the, this is a word, if I use that word, it just means the German tribes, the people from that area of the, of the Baltic region, um, the German tribes that will eventually settle down in Germany. But it's uh, um, the Visigoths, the, the, there's a whole bunch, a whole bunch of them that come in from that area and, and destroy the area. All right, so... Let's talk about this dude here. Gregory the First, also known as Gregory the Great in a lot of church history books. I guess you can say if, he, if he's got the name Great by him, he's pretty important to church history, isn't he? Um, no one's born with the name Great, except maybe Nate. He's Nate the Great. <laughs> Um, but um, Gregory was born under Justinian, who was the Roman Empire at the time. Um, but the Roman, the, the 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 tribesmen were coming in and pillaging. New diseases were entering into the to the when enter, and every time someone comes in contact with new people groups, you have diseases coming in. And so we have things like pandemics running around that we have all to aware about how fast those spread and how much devastation they can do. And think your health system in the Roman Empire has largely been destroyed at this point. A lot of that great scientists have been lost. So you have very little health care. You know, you might have someone in this, in this in your city that knows how to do th some things, you know, treat diarrhea and stuff like that, but these new plagues ravaging through. Um, so you got pillaging bands, disease, famine is coming through. Uh, remember we talked about a climate shift that happens? These the shifts of climate happen, so you're having famines happening. So he's kind of born into that time period, and he's born of an old, noble, wealthy family of Rome. So he's given an education fit for that status. He's supposed to be going into government, government service, studying Latin literature, uh, but he knows no Greek or Hebrew, which is rare for a lot of these early church people. Um, but it also is important because he's going to shift us away from that need for Hebrew and Greek understanding and switch us to largely to that Vulgate that we talked about and Jerome created. Uh, Jerome created the Vulgate where he translated the Bible into Latin. And so he's going to shift us away from the Hebrew and Greek into Latin. There's a lot of, 
a lot of things that happen because a lot of our interpretation of the scriptures are because uh, we use the Latin almost exclusively for a long time. And um, so he is familiar with Ambrose and Jerome and Augustine. Um, about 570, he was made the prefect of Rome, uh, which is a position of honor and importance. Um, after, so after that, he gives up his fortune that he inherited from his father. Um, and um, he proceeds to build seven monasteries in Italy. where uh, the most important of that where his father was born and so he's going to become a monk in this period of his life um, between 578 and 585 he becomes the ambassador representing the roman bishop in constantinople not the roman bishop yet he's representing him in constantinople but upon his room is uh his return to Rome, he's made the abbot of St. Andrew's Monastery. Um, and um, when Pope Pelagius died of the plague in 590, uh, Gregory was chosen to take his place. So he becomes Pope Gregory the first. The man, uh, his, his epithet reads, God's consul. You go read his episode. The, they consider him the, one of the noblest leaders of the Roman church. Um, At this time, yeah, he's going to be all into Roman Catholics. Uh, he's going to be, he, but he's going to still have his governmental background so he's going to be influential in making some policy changes um, he was zealous in his missionary movement um, he's going to send out people to England to become Christians um, he's probably because of that political stuff he's going to be one of the ablest administrations the Roman church had during the middle ages so he's going to be a, very much a, an administrator. Um, he does have a lot of miracles on his mind, though. He's a very superstitious man. Um, Gregory's greatest work, I think, during his power is, is to... Um, he increases the Roman bishop's power in the, the church world. Kind of sets it up to become the Roman Empire. We're not there yet, but it's coming. And he's very influential in setting up that, uh, increasing that power base. So whether you like it or don't, he is influential in that what is, what happened. Um, He's going to assert the spiritual supremacy of the Bishop of Rome and uh, 
he's going to ex- he's going to say that Rome is is in care of over churches of Gaul, Spain, Britain, Africa, and Italy. So the Roman Church controls controls cares for all the churches in Gaul, which will become Germany area, German area, Spain, Britain, Africa, and Italy. So he's going to do that, and um, when um, <laughs> there was another bishop about the same time period, John Fa- the Faster, um, because he not because he runs fast, because he fasts spiritually fast. Uh, he becomes the patriarch of Constantinople, which is kind of like the Pope of Constantinople. Um, but remember, the churches are about to divide. We're not there yet, but the churches are going to split. You're going to have the East and the West have a major split. We're not there yet, but it's going to happen, and it's coming. And so he has the patriarch of the Constantinople, and he claims himself the title of the uh, ecumenical, um, which means like the universal bishop. He claims that he's the bishop over all the bishops. Well, uh, Gregory uh, obviously will not like this. Um, he's, um, he is going to um, battle with, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like a battle, a political battle to, to establish uh, um, that no one should have uh, the, the term uh, universal bishop. Of course, later on, this does get claimed by the Roman Empire. Um, Maybe, maybe he is afraid of the unknown. I don't know. He, we we do read in his letter that he does have a lot of superstitious behavior. Um, uh, by the end of Gregory's reign, they actually wanted to name him the universal pope. He declines it. But there it is, and it's going to be taken pretty soon. Um, he, he, he disclaimed the title ahead of the church, um, and he doesn't want no one else to claim the title either, but um, it won't be long. Um, here's a picture of Gregory the Great. Um, he was so highly... Uh, respected as a teacher in the western church that if you look every most of the pictures of him there's a dove in the picture um, because he it represents the holy spirit communicating divine truth to him uh, that's how respected of a teacher he was in the western church and so uh 
Um, there's a, a historian. A historian. Um, he writes the story of Gregory the Great. Um, the fair-haired, blue-eyed boys up for sale as slaves in Rome were angels. He said they were not angels, but angels, not capital angels, but angels, lowercase angels, when they told they were, uh, were from D- uh, Derry, Yorkshire, he decided that he must deliver them from the wrath of God by missionary work. And so he commissioned the monk Augustine, not Augustine of Hippo, but another Augustine, to the Britons to give the meshes of gospel to the British so that they may be free. Um, he, um, church history, uh, church music. Anyone heard of Gregorian chants? You guys know Gregorian ch- chants? You guys know Gregorian chants, yeah? How many of you guys have not heard a Gregorian chant? Yeah, we're going to listen to Gregorian. That's probably part of it. It's eight minutes long. Uh, <laughs> um, he organized Gregorian chants named after Gregory I. Um, they become an important place in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and uh, it'll be used in church music for years. Uh, some of you probably may have even heard them in church because they're still sung today. Um, let's go ahead and listen to one. This is uh, one in Latin. That's uh, there we go. <laughs>
love the artistry in their books. All right, let's quit that. If you want more of that, it's on YouTube. Gregorian chant. That is all in Latin, yes. Um, very beautiful work. Um, um, about God. It's always about God. Just, what do you think about God? God. <laughs> There's a few about uh, Mother Mary. Uh, these are uh, pretty common. Um, but, um, and of course, I don't speak Latin, so I can't tell you word for word what it says. But um, you can look it up. Um, but it is very beautiful, and a lot of they will be a central part of the monasteries, especially for many years. Um, there's also uh, the. Uh, in the convents, the, the nuns will also sing uh, forms of these as well um, that will become different, like Ave Maria is another. How many of you guys have seen uh, um, oh, a Sound of Music? Yeah, the Ave Maria. That's a f uh, what will become out of this as it travels into the, the nuns and, and the, uh, that. Um, but that is a flow out of this Gregorian chant. Um, All right, so uh, Gregory, we're not done with Gregory. Gregory, um, uh, theologian, he's known as a theologian. Um, he is ranked in church history, well, Western church history, especially Catholic. Remember, most of this was written by the Catholics because they're the ones that have, have the power, right? So those who are in control, that's how it always has worked, always will work, right? Um. He's ranked with Jerome, Ambrose, and Augustine as one of the four great uh, doctors of the West. So he's up there. Um, throughout the, he lays the groundwork for theology that lasts throughout the Middle Ages. Um, really until Thomas Aquinas, uh, which you may or may not know who he is. Uh, he believed that man was a sinner by birth and choice. Uh, he softens Augustine's views by asserting that man did not inherit guilt from Adam, but only sin. And, uh, and, and disease to all, a disease, sin is a disease to which all were subject. Uh, he maintained that will is free and that is only his goodness only its goodness has been lost he believes in predestination but he but uh, he limits it to the elect grace is not irresistible and uh, something that Calvin will go up against um, he says because based on both foreknowledge of God and to some extent the merits of man and I'm not going to argue any of these one points right with you right now do that later. <laughs> but that's what he believes. Uh, no, no. Just that grace is not irresistible. You can choose not to be a Christian. Uh, he does, he actually holds the idea of purgatory. 
a place where the souls can be purified for the prior, prior to interest in heaven. So that only the wicked of the wickedest go to hell. The rest will eventually get to heaven. Go to purgatory for however long it takes you to work off your, your debt. Um, so, um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, eventually. Um, the idea is that you go to purgatory and you work off your debt. And so the worse person you are, the, the longer it takes you to get there. Uh, it's only the worst of the worst will not, you know, go straight to hell. You know, it's the, I don't know how they decide. I've, I'm not an expert on purgatory. I, I've, uh, I've done some studying on it enough to know that I disagree with it, but I haven't, I haven't looked into why some people don't get to go there and why others do. I don't, I don't know that answer. Um, but it was a place they were purified. Um, he does emphasize good works and... Um, and like I said, he's, he's very much likes the miraculous and superstitions. So he will um, uh, help in aiding and in, in, in bringing up saints to, uh, um, to, to aid in our prayers and in our, our, our battles with walk and life and, and you know, that doesn't develop overnight. You know, the idea that you pray to the saints or pray for help from the saints or get there and to pray on your behalf, none of that happens overnight. But he's, he, he does add to that, uh, that belief. Um, so anyways, yeah, he does transition us from what we'd say the ancient church to the middle church. Um, the Middle Ages is... Um, you know, a lot of times we think uh, of the Middle Ages as a place where no one moves around, but it's actually going to be a time period when we see a great migration as the vandal, the, 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 the tribes move in, it pushes people out, and so people are moving. And we're going to see a lot of uh, migration of those following the breakup of the Roman Empire. And... Um, which was going to get us into contact with, like, the Vikings and the, uh, and, and the British Isles and uh, uh, eventually into the United States, too, you know, where the, you know, the, the, the North American area eventually. Um, but... Um, Oh, yes, very much so. This is a time period, uh, especially the early time period. The Vikings are, are still a plundering. Well, I, they're still traveling. Plundering is only part of what they do. You know, interesting enough, yeah, side note, a lot of women thought the Vikings were, uh, were fantastic because they actually bathed and brushed their hair and... Um, and that was something that a lot of the men were not doing at that time period. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, actually, they're probably pretty skinny. But, uh, um, but uh, yeah, nothing like the, the Vikings we see in the movies. But uh, um, what is, right? <laughs> um, okay. Tell you what, we're going to pray and be dismissed. I do not have time to get into our next section because we're going to next we're going to introduce Islam, and I don't want to jump over that too fast. So we're going to start with Islam next week. We're going to start uh, talk about Islam. Maybe I'll bring in my Quran. I think I, if if I remember, I'll bring in my Quran. You guys can look at it. Um. All right, so that's what we'll do next week. We'll, we'll start there and, and talk about the spread of Christianity and the rise of Quran, uh, of the, the, the missionary works and the rise of Islam. And um, that'll probably take up all of next week. So, All right, so let's pray. Father God, I pray to you today, Lord. I thank you for just blessing us with this time, Lord. I pray that uh, you just... Uh, Help us to grow and to learn and become better than we are. Help us to be students of history. Because we know that the more we know about history, the freer we are. And we can learn from the past mistakes and move forward into your glory. As we seek to know where we've come, let us see where we're going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.